Today on Raiders Get Animated, we're going to tackle a subject that is important to us and important for us to talk about, but it may not always be appropriate for kids. And while our language will still be kid-appropriate, we encourage everyone of all ages to engage critically with sexual harassment and think about it and why not to do it. Uh, but you can make that choice for your family today. Stay tuned. Good day and welcome to Writers Get Animated, a podcast about animation and storytelling. And today, how wildly inappropriate cartoons from the 40s are. I'm Chris Leva. And I'm Mackenzie Worrell. And today we're discussing sexual harassment in cartoons, not the cartoon creators, which is its whole other topic on its own, but within animated cartoons. And we have several things from history and from current times to go through. Um, and to help us out, we have two guests. We have returning guest, Rebecca Myers, recovering journalist. Hola, everyone. <laughs> and then we have new guest, Laura Masters, a writer of all kinds, including flash fiction on the Twitterverse. Hello. So thank you both for coming as we discuss this wonderfully complicated topic. <laughs> how, how are you going to save this, Chris? <laughs> I, I, I found a way. I found a way. Um, so just we want to get into this a little bit. Like, why are we even talking about this? Um, and I guess we could start with Mackenzie. This was your idea before it was Rebecca's idea. Um, so what, what, what was your thinking? What I mean, were it was you this wonderful, it's wonderful synchronicity because obviously, and I'm presuming by the time this episode airs, uh, it will still be a large topical thing happening in our national dialogue. Um, there's this, the sexual harassment scandal. For some reason, you're listening to this episode five years in the future. Um, the end of 2017 was not a very good time for many reasons. Um, but one of them being that we all realize sexual harassment is everywhere and a really big problem. And if you're 51% of the population, you already knew that. <laughs> but the wave of revelations about sexual harassment and who has been harassing um, has even hit the animation world um, with some big names in animation being accused. And we have nothing new to say about that. Not that we're saying that it's not worth talking about. Um, or that these are important things. They are, but we are more interested in looking at sexual harassment through the lens of animation through the years, how, as Chris said, wildly inappropriate cartoons from the 40s are, um, <laughs> and mildly inappropriate <laughs> cartoons from the 90s are, and then how modern animation that we've talked about and love handles sexual harassment as a topic in a complex, meaningful way. Now, um, as the guests, have either of you seen any of these things that we watched before? I mean, we watched um, Red Hot Riding Hood, the Tex Avery, um, let's use air quotes, classic on this. Um, and we also watched For Sentimental Reasons, starring Pepe Le Pew. We watched an episode of The Animaniacs, the, um, my goodness, where's that title? Taming of the Screwy. And then we watched a, a wonderful episode of The Simpsons, Homer Badman. And then we watched 
an episode of Steven Universe, Alone Together, and an episode of Bojack Horseman, Hank After Dark. Um, but had either of you experienced any of these things, either as a kid or recently, the more recent ones? We could start with um, Laura and then... Sure. Yeah, I, uh, as I was watching them, remembered seeing the Pepe Le Pew cartoon when I was a kid. And it kind of reminded me of like the icky feelings that I had as a kid that I didn't fully understand or have words for. Um, I definitely saw Red Hot Riding Hood probably when my parents were not around. Um, and I think I remember seeing the Animaniacs um, episode as well. My sister was really into Animaniacs, so we probably watched that due to her. But any of Steven Universe or Bojack nope. Horseman, those were all, all new experiences new. for you? How about for you, Rebecca? Well, I remember Pepe Le Pew when I was little, and I was really into French things. I've never been there, but I always wanted to go. So I always thought it was like, um, you know, I remember him being really persistent and annoying because he's really over the top. Um, and obviously, I was I was little, so I wasn't totally privy to what was really happening. Um, although I would say I, I do have a, a lens for that <laughs> um, still as an early child, but that one was a little young. Um, I liked his name because, you know, you know, Pepe Le Pew is kind of funny. He's a weird skunk, but um, I just remember him being annoying. <laughs> and so sadly, that content I didn't really pick up on. Oh, this is horrible. I do remember, though, in the back of my head, I think my mother was really against it. So I understand why. Um, the Simpsons, I'm well versed in uh, that episode. Um, I really liked it um, just because of the whole candy convention. I mean, who could go wrong there? But um, we'll obviously get into that later um, about what that does, which I think does a lot more than the old versions. And just, um, I don't think I'd seen Red Hot Riding Hood, but um, all of those bazooka eyes and everything is has always been kind of kind of funky. Bazooka eyes. I think that we that should quote that. That's that's. Uh amazing it is and you immediately know what it is bazooka it's apt yes it is well done bazooka eyes so yeah i think that tex avery which let's start there i think that's a very nice place to start because when we talked about this that was the first thing that i thought of was this iconic for lack of a better word, because it was so influential. Not iconic because it's, oh, I'm going to get hit by some people. Not because it's high quality, but because it's <laughs> influential in terms of, you it's know. known. Yes. You know the wolf. You know the, the idea. I mean, if you look at the Jim Carrey classic, The Mask from the 90s, that's all Tex Avery influence. And... Um, it that is, if not more disturbing <laughs> than than Red Hot Riding Hood to see um, that manifest itself. Although it's it, cool CGI, but really problematic in terms of what is actually Everything. happening. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so, um, what 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 were your thoughts, Laura, Rebecca, as you're watching Red Hot Riding Hood? Um, I know some of the parts where I got where I started feeling a little uncomfortable and it's very early on, but what, what were you feeling as you were watching this? Um, I think I totally know what you're talking about because in the beginning when he starts with the bazooka eyes, it 
I, the first thing I wrote down was like, this goes on for far too long. It's just <laughs> uncomfortably long in the beginning. And you're like, oh my God, I got it. I get it. You think she's hot. Okay. Um, and I think something else that I hadn't noticed before, definitely not as a kid, but her body language is so very clearly like away from him and her shoulder is closed off from him and she's crossing her arms in the other direction. Like even in a cartoon, um, Little Red Riding Hood's body language is all saying no, which was something I never before would have picked up on. Hmm. I also kind of, I want to parallel that. I was wondering what is the moral of the story? And it is just the fact that he thinks she is hot. <laughs> and that's pretty disturbing when, um, I mean, it's, uh, how long was it? Like, to 12 minutes or something it's a seven minute seven long minutes thing, but well, it does it feel like, like 12 about 15 <laughs> <laughs> um and and it starts not just with um his the way he um acts to her and she says she actually clearly says no and that's not respected but it's kind of that infantilizing of her you know that it starts out with the normal story of red riding hood which is creepy anyway um and but you know you can see her like her underwear and she's just like a little kid and then like they go into nowadays and like well in the 40s then a days in the 40s <laughs> and um and you know they're in the swanky club and like there's no the only thing for her is that she's a dancer and if you're a dancer that's fine that's what you do but they don't give her anything she has no reason to be there except for she is the attention of of his you know animal instinct and the fact that he's a wolf and being a very you know instinctual male no sorry for you guys you guys are great men but you know in and this is the context we're talking about but that feeling is um just it's it's sad it's sad when like you're like oh little kids are supposed to enjoy this how how is that it's just the adults world that you know we've never grown up from yeah i think what's also really interesting is that all of her no's and denials are n- n- go unheard. And then it gets to the point where Little Red Riding Hood is screaming no in his face in a very low kind of masculine voice, which was really, really interesting to me. And he still is like incessant, but it got her to that point where you see her get angry and like push him away. What do you say after the show? You and me go uh, step <laughs> You wolves are all alike. Glad you are. Now, I'm terribly sorry. But you see, I'm going over to my grandmother's. She's burning a little light in the window for me. Glad she is. Ah, forget the old dragon. <coughs> and uh, fly away with me to the Riviera. That will be such a beautiful thing. I will give you diamonds. Birds, Amen. I will even give you a new set of white sidewalk tires. Ah. <laughs> What's your answer to that, babe? Well, <laughs> my answer is... No! Yes, that was a very strong moment where her voice does change. Um... Because that's that's it's very striking when it happens. Her her entire body language and her voice has to shift, and still it's not enough. It's still not enough to stop it. And but it's all played for laughs. And I don't know who you're meant to be following on this. You know, it's the story of Red Little Red Riding Hood, who is supposedly the title hero, 
but you you start off following the wolf. Like when it comes to then a days, and it's no longer the fairy tale, it turns it on its head, and now it's we're following the wolf, and it's his story. Um, and then it becomes really disturbing when Granny comes into the picture, which is another relationship which is confusing and apparently was more confusing in the original ending. So in the original ending of the cartoon, they had a shotgun wedding and he and Granny got married and then Granny gave birth to three wolf children and they all watched Red Riding Hood at the nightclub. The Granny and the wolf and their three wolf children. What? Well, I stunned for silence, all of us. <laughs> <laughs> so you're welcome for that. Whatever. Um, I, th- I thought that was the red, the red hot Hide- riding hood, and um, f- uh, with the Pepe Le Pew, it's kind of this insult of like, oh, you're a woman until you're old, and then you're not a woman anymore, and you're not a- attractive, and it's like he's fending off the granny, and like you know when she's like approaching him and doing the same actions that he did to red riding hood he's like not having it and so i thought that that was a really big parallel of like oh like you can dish it out but you can't take it and um also what does that say about you know oh once we age we're nothing yeah i totally agree i had the same kind of reaction in red hot riding hood and the peppy Le Pew episode um after the cat has fallen into a bucket of water and now she has flipped and is like kind of into him and now he's not having any of it and it's so bizarre you are it makes attraction seem so fickle and so superficial and also maybe conflates this kind of sexual harassment with attraction i don't know i'm still trying to figure that out in my head with pepe le pew i'm like I hadn't seen a Pepe Le Pew short in a long time. And I remember, like, as a kid, really enjoying Pepe Le Pew. And specifically, my mom also really liked Pepe Le Pew. Um, And so I expected, like, oh, yeah, it's Pepe Le Pew. He's the classic (laughs) Looney Tunes sexual harasser. Let's watch this and, like, be disgusted. (laughs) And then I watched it, and I I don't want to justify anything about it. I'm not trying to do that. But I thought it was interesting that Penelope the cat was the main character. And you kind of follow the story. And what's funny about it is how much she doesn't like it. I mean, I'm not saying that that is funny. I'm just saying that's that's what's intended to be funny about that, it. That's the joke. That's the yeah. joke that it's presenting. Not that it was funny, but you're saying that's what they were. Yeah. It's, for me, Sentimental Reasons is kind of like this, it's this weird, like, not very good but complex portrayal of like why objectification is bad (laughs) it's like look how bad of a time this woman is having isn't that funny don't do that i don't know if the message was don't do that though i i think uh, i chose this one for two reasons one because it won an Academy Award. So at some point people are like high quality storytelling, or this is the one cartoon we watched this year, you know, whatever they chose, however they chose Academy Award winners back then. But the the second reason is there was a reversal. Um, So it starts off with the old, I mean, all Pepe the Pew cartoons are based on 
the cat Penelope somehow getting a white stripe down her back. So he mistakes her as a skunk. So part of the fun was, how is this cat going to get the white stripe? And you're like, oh, how is, oh, is she going to jump up and hit a flagpole? Or she's going to do this and paint's going to go down her back. Something's going to happen. She's going to get the white stripe and Pepper the Pew is going to be um, attracted to her automatically because she's a female skunk. So it presents this fish out of water story of this guy who's amorous and, you know, a real lover of others, women mostly, who tries to be romantic, but the joke is that he is smelly and he is unattractive because he is smelly. Well, I found I found a sound clip that I think really it was really enlightening to me. When I was in school, I was uh, six feet one and weighed about 125 pounds, so I was sort of transparent, and girls could look right through me and see other guys. So it was natural for me to to, uh, to probably to come up with a character like Pepe Le Pew, who was everything that I would have liked to have been. There was absolute certainty and assuredness about his own his own desirability. So Chuck Jones is talking about. He created Pepe Le Pew because Pepe Le Pew was everything he wanted to be. Hmm. Okay. Which, I yeah, exactly, exactly. <laughs> it's really like, oh, oh so overt and confident and and gets all the ladies. <laughs> but yeah, doesn't get all the ladies though. He gropes all the ladies. <laughs> he gropes. Yeah, that's a good way to put it. Yeah. His first contact with with the cat is immediately sexual. Like he's immediately kissing her. Like, and he's seen her for negative three seconds. He didn't even wait. He just <laughs> kissed her. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I knew we were going over this and it was going to be bad, but I didn't know it was going to be that bad. <laughs> <laughs> this one, I remembered um, when I was a little kid watching it and w- kind of squirming and being like, Oh, ugh, he's such a loser. Ew, he's so stinky. Like, <laughs> I remember those kinds of thoughts going through my head, like, oh, he's forcing her to be near him. Gross. Um, but I, it's so problematic looking at it now. Yes. Like, so when, my child brain was trying to like form that barrier. Well, when you're a kid, it's gross because he's stinky. Not, not Yeah, and he's a boy and ugh. But not, it's, well, it's, it's like a, it's a classic drama cheat of like, even in Shakespeare's time, it's like, well, you know, this guy must be the bad guy because there's something physically wrong with him. So it's like, Pepe Le Pew's a bad guy because he smells bad. <laughs> but this one, yeah, I, I... I have such complex feelings about it. Like, I feel like, for me, this is why... Um, Chuck Jones' explanation of Pepe Le Pew is like, why we need feminism. <laughs> because, <laughs> because you shouldn't feel like you have to behave like Pepe Le Pew to get the girl. Yeah. I think um, something that was really interesting to me about Pepe Le Pew and Red Hot Riding Hood is that in both episodes, the male perpetrator, um, Predator, was like resorted to attempting to kill himself at some point. So with Red Hot Riding Hood, the wolf tries to kill himself because grandma is now sexually harassing him and he can't escape her. And killing himself seems like the best option. And then Pepe Le Pew um, 
Penelope the cat is not interested in him and he says, oh, I'll just kill myself or something like that. And he walks out the window and completely plays on her emotional sensibilities and she rushes out. Super manipulative. So manipulative. And so why is that your only option to get out of this situation that you created? I, I did write it in all caps. Two suicide attempts? Like, what? <laughs> in children's cartoons? I was really I was really surprised by that. I mean, there's overt sexuality and there's harassment and there's what women or what men have done to women for years. But then just when you bring in murder, it seems like, oh, well, this seems a little much. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, both, dark. both of those were written and directed by men. And the... The thing that you always say about those cartoons from the 40s is people would go see them together as a family. So it's as much for the adults as it is for kids. And then it wasn't until around the 60s that slash 70s that things started moving that if it's animated, it's only for children. So there was this weird shift where everybody's going to sit in the theater and everyone's going to laugh. And hopefully the sexual things will go over the kids' heads. Because we're making this for ourselves, but we can't be overt. But we can be just as sexual as most of the other things that are out there. Because everything is basically rated G in the 40s, so to speak. Yeah. I think the, the historical thing we're missing from our, our list here which I don't think is worth talking about necessarily is Betty Boop and kind of like just the whole style of Betty Boop is like this institutional sexual harassment of like these men coming up with the concept and designing her and drawing this overtly sexualized early thirties cartoon character. Who will fall over if she was ever, you know, oh, created. Yeah. There's no <laughs> way she could stand up. <laughs> The early you mean like a Funko? She needs a wheelchair. <laughs> yeah, Betty Boop. That's the sound she makes as she hits the ground. Boop. Boop. <laughs> I will note that the wolf, after he kills himself, even in death, he is still a pig. He comes back and he yeah. is still molesting her from afar. Yes. Even though he's dead. His so when does it end? That's the question is when will it end for women? Never? Probably never. But what can we do in the meantime? <laughs> <laughs> this has been another uplifting episode of Writers Get Animated. <laughs> yeah, the ghost bazooka eyes was a lot. <laughs> yeah, it didn't even stop. And he's still able... For me, dramaturgically, I was like, so ghosts can hit tables? Like, is he a poltergeist of some kind? Like, what? Yeah. How, how is his spirit able to bang on the table? Which... I mean, to be fair, there weren't any other patrons banging on the tables. So, right. like, is it is it a, a story to be careful of that one predator? Or is it the story of, you know, hashtag all men? Like, are all men wolves or do you just have to watch out for the wolves? Is the question. How do you tell when someone's a wolf, though? Yeah, they don't always bang on the tables and hoot and <laughs> holler don't. at you. I, I would think that Pepe Le Pew is like the exact opposite while still being a predator. Yeah. He's very like, I think, intentionally feminized in a way. Well, yeah, I would agree. He's like soft. Yeah. And he's got like the, the hair. While being floof. aggressive. Yeah. He has eyelashes, which is typically in cartoon speak makes him feminine. 
Um, you meet him in a perfume shop. I was going to say he frequents, um, yeah, makeup shop. So, and and in the forties, a French accent. Oof, that meant all kinds of things. <laughs> <laughs> Can we sidebar for like just a minute? I am certain the French in the beginning of that episode is nonsense. <laughs> I took French for five years, and I think I recognized like three words. I was wondering. I think it's mostly. Yeah, I think it's mostly just nonsense. I think that's part of it because, like, everything, all their signs and all the paper like pew shorts are like "le tunnel of love." <laughs> they just put "le" in front yeah. of it. Yeah, there was one. It was um, instead of saying "sacré cœur," it says "sacré maroon." Sacre cerise, and like that means like holy red and holy cherries. It's like someone has like the 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 writer has the understanding of what French is, but knows that the audience won't know French, so we're just gonna make it ridiculous for people who do know French. Yeah. <laughs> Aren't those French people silly? I was worried some That's of it's like overtly racist, that but we just don't know because we don't know French. So I was scared to see what was actually being said. Well, that's that's part of the reason that Pepe the Pew was shelved in the first place was because he's a stereotype of a nationality. When really it's much worse because of his actions. Like him as a character is much worse than him as a stereotype, I think. I don't know what what Looney Tunes characters are like safe today let's have that talk bugs bunny as long as you don't show any of the smoking or the cross-dressing um daffy no i think cross-dressing is probably like good now though it's back okay now i mean i i'm okay with it i support if this. we're defining if we're if we're in support of bugs bunny doing it from an authentic place i think there we go yes i i think bugs bunny gets most of his films because i he does identify as a he as most bugs bunny films go they all work until there's one thing there's one where there is a witch witch hazel and she turns into a, a girl rabbit and he's like oh but aren't they all just witches inside and it's like <laughs> bugs you were doing so well there like, why is that the last line you had me until the last line of this cartoon bugs I feel like he's like your charming friend, like, you're so entertaining, but then sometimes you say like that one thing and you question like, are you a real person? <laughs> like, are you sheltered? What happened to you just, in childhood? Just end your cartoons one sentence earlier. That's it. Just end your <laughs> cartoons one sentence earlier. Yeah. So, um, that's a lot of what was going on in the 40s was that kind of representation. Let's move forward 50 years. I mean, there's a lot of problematic stuff in between, to be real. It didn't um, stop. It didn't go away. <laughs> it didn't go away. Let's go to the 90s and take a look at something that seemed innocuous when I was younger and doesn't seem innocuous anymore. Even when you were young, that felt innocuous? No, but more <laughs> innocuous. Like, it's more... In Okay, let's talk about this. So, the Animaniacs, does everyone know in, here in this conversation the backstory of the Animaniacs? I think so. They were like aliens, weren't they? And the scientist was trying to help oh, them. Oh, that is so much more interesting. Um, <laughs> <laughs> I'm not sure if they're dogs or show. mice or, or what. I just know that they helped me learn like the, um, the state capitals, but that's about <laughs> it. <laughs> 
Yes. So Animaniacs were essentially cartoon characters created in the 20s by Warner Brothers. But their cartoons were so insane that they locked them away. And now, all these years later, they've escaped from where they're from their prison in the water tower. And now they're like holdovers from the past who now have to try to live in this crazy world that we live in currently um, in the in the 90s. The not so then a days. Right. <laughs> so that's the story. So I don't think that explains away their actions in terms of, well, they're from the 20s and back in the 20s, Cartoon characters just ran up to women and said whatever they want and gave them the bazooka eyes and shouted and kissed them and did whatever they felt like it. You know, I don't think that excuses it. But since that's where they came from, I I don't know if that's the writer saying, well, this is what the characters did in the 20s. That's what these characters who are from the 20s must behave. Yeah, I agree with that i feel like as a whole animaniacs like they they wanted to capture that like element of the hello nurse classic thing that's problematic and wrong um and they tried to like walk it back in other ways in other episodes with hello nurse because she doesn't even have a name her name is hello nurse um like at at some there are points where dot the sister says hello nurse to some like scantily clad hunk and there's, they really emphasize later in the series that Hello Nurse has like a PhD and has all these amazing accomplishments and got into college at 15. And they like try to emphasize like she's smart. She's the woman of the year, independent, a career. There's not a thing that she couldn't do. Oh, she's alert, she's aware. She's got legs like a stair and a hundred fifty-seven IQ. She has several PhDs, speaks fluent Japanese, and the shoes will always match with her purse. Whatever street she's walking down, everybody turns around and says, Hello, nurse! She would be Hello Doctor then if she had a PhD. <laughs> I, exactly. Like, why is she a nurse if she's... Uh, they try and walk it back, and it's like they were aware that what they were doing was not good, but not enough to, like, not do it. Well, it's obvious that the writers know that what they're doing is wrong because of Dot, the Warner sister. Because of her reactions, they know that this is bad. Um, but they don't fix it. <laughs> they don't fix it at all. But what were your thoughts, Laura, Rebecca, about Animaniacs? And I know that, Laura, you said you had seen it at some point. But what what were your thoughts as you were re-watching it now? Um, so... <laughs> I was watching it thinking that they were aliens trying to figure out <laughs> life on planet Earth. Okay, uh, so that interpretation, not... <laughs> go. So that. Um, I found it really interesting the way that Dot um, acted and, like, watched her brothers and then, like, 
that whole exchange when they're when the brothers keep saying hello nurse and then this the doctor looks at dot and she's just kind of quiet i found really interesting um i don't recall if she ever says hello nurse herself does she i think she probably does at some point she doesn't say hello nurse but she um at she like kisses the nurse doesn't she what does she do at the do you mean during the training session? So Yeah. So Dr. Scratch and Sniff is trying to I know it's ridiculous. <laughs> but Dr. Scratch and Sniff is trying to get Yakko Wacko and Dot to be on their best behavior so they can go to a company party at the Warner Brothers studio for some Japanese investors who are problematic for different reasons. Um <laughs> Who want to give $1 billion to the studio to fund Mel Gibson movies, which is problematic for another reason. <laughs> it's all kinds of 90s. So many things. <laughs> it's like, oh. There's a lot to unpack. <laughs> so that, and he's trying to teach Yakko and Wacko and Dot the proper way to greet somebody, which is not with hello, nurse. And I think she goes up to say, how do you do? And give a little curtsy. And there's the joke about yeah, making yeah, yeah. the curtsy. Yes. But she... Yeah, I found that very interesting. Yeah, and she does make a comment like, looks at the camera or something and says, boys, or... Mm -hmm. You know, which is, the end of that sentence is, will be boys, which is... Right. Problematic. But, Rebecca, <laughs> yeah. did you... Maybe hashtag problematic for this one? Um, yes. <laughs> It was just, it was weird. They're very um, hyper and high strung. And so it wasn't, um, even if I had been a fan from when I was little, it's, I, I'm just not a fan from when I was little because they've always been strange to me. So the fact that they're doing something that's even more inappropriate now with my adult eyes just isn't fun to watch. But um, I just noted that um, when, like, you know, a dot objects to the behavior at first, but it doesn't make it okay. I feel I felt like the writers were trying to say like, oh, like somebody doesn't like this, so therefore we're sort of saying we don't like it, but we're still gonna focus on this for the whole entire show. So I mean, it just it didn't do anything for me except for make me sad. And then when <laughs> Dot herself like kind of succumbs to this later on, it's just like, well, what is the moral here? Like, why there's a little bit more plot and there's some more things that are. Um, funny like a you know the wayne's world cameo and stuff like that um so you kind of see it as like oh maybe this could stand on its own but it really can't because the whole plot is just about etiquette lessons of you know how not to be overtly sexual hmm and the lesson wasn't so much to not be sexual but just here's how to approach somebody Here's how to be a decent person. Right. Well, true, yeah. <laughs> Here's how to say hello to someone at a party. <laughs> right. And they... Not that. <laughs> Basically. It's human. interesting to me that all three of these so far have, like, a female character through some perspective we can see how used to this they are. And they have some kind of, like, eye roll or sarcastic reaction, but they do nothing to stop it necessarily and again i'm not saying that this is the, the female character created by men's job to do <laughs> this is just problematic of the men creating this does it also show on some part of the male creators that they identify that um this is a thing that women deal with that like if they're creating a character 
who eye rolls at this because they're like, oh, of course this is happening. This always happens, blah, blah, blah. Then I think it's fair to say that these male creators acknowledge that this is something that women day to day deal with and like perhaps do have an eye roll kind of reaction to because it does happen so often. Yeah, I I would certainly agree with that. I've been thinking a lot about the, the Chuck Jones quote and I think in animation especially, um, artists have the ability to create this ideal character that lives in this world, this ideal world that they would get to live in. So I think that a lot of what we see in animation is a reflection of like the deepest ideas of what the ideal world is for the creator. I know I'm getting really philosophical about the Animaniacs now, but <laughs> well, but that is that is problematic. Um, as as writers, what you're supposed to do is present each character with something that defines them in some way and try to write from the reality of each of those characters. If you have two brothers and a sister and the two brothers are acting some way, the way that you have the sister react to their actions says everything about your judgment on the brothers and the way the sister is behaving. In the end, Dot is just as bad as them um, because we meet Mel Gibson from his, I believe, Lethal Re Weapon 3 days, um, because Joe Pesci is there. So, but it's, it's just as problematic there because he is just as, in this particular instance, um, unwanting of that attention as any of the women that, you know, Yakko and Wacko are going after. Are you defending Mel Gibson? I am not. <laughs> I am not. I am just saying that in this particular episode, it paints him as a victim of sexual harassment by Dot. I, I'm going to play devil's advocate here. Is it just as problematic that Dot does it? I think maybe here it's trying to show... Um, that it can happen to everybody and that like and then somehow it makes this the fact that it happens to women more times like oh well women do it too you know and i think it's very important to think about victims who are male because that is a very real thing um and to give that its space um and uh, and uh, time and effort but um i think here it's not doing that at all like that was not part of the conversation in 1993 and um, as you know, we want to see it that way. We want to see some, you know, gleaming ray of hope from this now in our, with our eyes. But I don't think that was how it was supposed to be then. Well, no, I mean, you did get the film Disclosure starring Demi Moore and Michael Douglas, where he is not believed that he was sexually harassed by his boss. But it's always on this individual level of this hypersexualized woman who wants something and it's very much about, you know, the guy trying to yeah. say no. And it's like this very extreme situation as opposed to what's presented in the Animaniacs, which is saying hello to people. <laughs> this, this is how you say hi to people. So, and, and it, everything about hello nurse is problematic from her entrance music, which is, you know, the, Deep saxophone. The deep saxophone, the beating bongo drums, which is very 
Jessica Rabbit, you know, in terms of that's it's it's just playing on all of those things. It's so, like the Marilyn Monroe theme, isn't it? Yeah, she's blonde, you know, she's buxom, there's all this stuff. Everything about her, she's silent, is probably the worst offense of the character of Hello Nurse. Um, The fact that she is just silent. She doesn't even have anything beyond facial expressions after Yakko and Wacko, you know, kiss her without her consent. And Dr. Scratch-O-Stiff is like, no, no, no. Just try to say, how do you do? That's all you have to do. And he doesn't, no one checks up on her, like, <laughs> to see how And it's how like Dr. Scratch-O-Stiff expects them to react this way. Like, this is the test. Like, he's also using her <laughs> in a different way. Yeah, why her? Why not just get somebody else? Why not practice on him? Here, I'm going to stand yeah. here and you say hello to me. I thought scratch and sniff in itself seemed kind of harassing. Like just as a name, it seemed a little, <laughs> little much. Oh, I didn't even think of that. Oh, oh, oh no. <laughs> it's, it's even worse. What were you going to say, Laura? It looked like you had a thought. I don't know. It's gone now. That <laughs> took it from me. <laughs> <laughs> I don't know. I find it problematic that Hello Nurse does not have any voice whatsoever. She has no agency at all as a character. Like, her purpose is to serve the other characters in the show. I don't know. As a writer, that seems like a no-no. There's, I, I think the thing for me is it, it feels very, very lazy yeah it, like it, it's not just that it's it's not that it's bad writing it's it's lazy and it just kind of falls all of it falls flat even so even when they start doing f- puns and silly things or the antics it just kind of falls flat because you're just thrown by easy jokes and right and I don't I don't know I mean we talked about it in our Animaniacs episode which is who is the audience here? What kid is going to know who Mel Gibson is and who will understand who Joe Pesci is in Lethal Weapon 3? Which kids and which parents in the right mind let their kids watch Lethal Weapon 3? Like, that's like, what, where's the Venn diagram of people who've seen Lethal Weapon 3, <laughs> Batman Returns? <laughs> And enjoy <laughs> cartoons on a school day. Like, where, where, where does that line up? Well, Chris, we know that's you and me. I understand that. <laughs> I understand that that's me in high school, but it's like... Uh, yeah. I always found when, when, I, when I watched the Animaniacs, anytime there was a plot in the Animaniacs, those were the least interesting episodes. It was always just sing a song about the nations of the world, Yakko, and that will, will be fine. Don't try to have a plot. Don't try to be characters. Just be silly and sing about the ingredients in ice cream. Like, that's, that's, that's enough. I don't need you to be characters. <laughs> so, 
we're in the nineties. We're still problematic. Um, when we look at children's animation, question mark, family animation, question mark, let's, um, can we talk about animation for adults? Yeah, because I think the the Simpsons. I'm sorry, <clears throat> Disney's The Simpsons um, was a turning point for animation in many ways, in many respects. And I I certainly think this is the first time where sexual harassment is handled in, I mean, still a problematic way, but much more of like a serious way. It shows that they're thinking about it. Yeah. And I had issues with this episode even as a kid. Like, Pepe Le Pew didn't bug me for some reason, but this bugged me. I'm going to hold on to that for now because I'm interested in hearing some opinions first. <laughs> so can we talk about what Homer Badman is? Like, what happens in the plot of season six, episode nine? I thought it was so much later. I didn't realize it was so early. It's like we're on season 27, 28. I- I've lost track. I think we're on 29 now. Oh, see? So season six, this is early, early Simpsons. Um, Homer Badman, who would like to explain what happens? Rebecca, as a Simpsons fan, what happens in this episode? Well, they're going to the candy convention and Homer wins tickets. (laughs) And much to his wife's dismay, he's going to take his lovely wife, but it's only because she can haul more candy out of there than his kids could. So um, they... They go to the convention and then there's this Venus de Milo statue, but made of gummy bear and it's beautiful and it's rotating on this little thing that goes around and it looks stellar and Homer has to have it. So does he have to have it because it's candy and he is loves food in every episode or because it's um, a woman or because it's a woman made of candy? So, I mean, it is sexualizing candy. Um, which is sad because I love candy and I want it to be innocent and free. But um, I mean, <laughs> so, but then it's this, it's this glory, it's this trophy he has to have, like this trophy wife made of gummy bears that he has to have. And um, they had to get a babysitter. And so the babysitter, um, so they could go to the candy convention. Um, Homer takes her home. He lost his Venus um, gummy bear. And sadly, the um, to him, the, uh, babysitter sits on it and uh, when she gets up out of the car to leave he grabs her butt because that is where the venus lies and he is making the homer sound that he is salivating and she thinks he's a creep so they pick at their house the simpsons house and um he is feels shame from the media and when all he wanted was that candy why would anybody want to touch a girl's butt that's where cooties come from. Dad, I don't understand. What is she saying you did? Well, Lisa, remember that postcard Grandpa sent us from Florida of that alligator biting that woman's bottom? Oh, yeah. That was brilliant. That's right. We all thought it was hilarious. But it turns out we were wrong. That alligator was sexually harassing that woman. And the dog in the copper tone ad, same deal, Dad? Well, that's kind of a gray area. We know you're innocent, Dad. Thanks, kid. Would anyone like to um, make the Homer sound? So we like our ah, I can't do it. <laughs> you don't have enough saliva back there. It's like yeah. <laughs> you have to like you have to build the well first, and then yeah, open the floodgates. And See, then open. Yeah, we we got a laugh, and part of the theme of writers get animated is so we're bad at impressions. So there we go. <laughs> um, 
Thank you, Rebecca. I I didn't realize it was problematic from so early in the episode. Um, yeah, it's like they wanted a way to show all the symptoms of sexual harassment, but in this innocent Homer way. I use innocent here with air quotes. <laughs> um, had you seen this episode before, Laura? No. I was not a big Simpsons watcher. Um, Simpsons was not allowed in the Masters household, along with Ren and Stimpy. Um, That's fair. They were, they were banned shows. So no, I had never seen it before. It was new to me. So what were your thoughts as, as you were watching the, act, the first act of this candy convention moving on to Venus de Milo, which I think says a lot that it's a Venus de Milo. Yes, I found that really interesting that it was a Venus de Milo. There's something that happens um, with Bart and Homer is like explaining to Bart what's going on after um, like the whole butt thing happened. Um, and he's like having this conversation with his son and he's explaining to his son what sexual harassment is. And that was so interesting to me that they like built this self-awareness into Homer and into the show, but like not enough self-awareness into Homer to where he would like second think his actions um, because he is ultimately just driven by his lust for food. Um, but yeah, that, that whole conversation was very, very interesting to me, um, especially considering Bart is... I think supposed to be like 12. Like he's supposed to be a a kid, kid, right? Yes, he is 10. 10. I think he's younger than 12, mm -hmm. yeah. Yeah, so he's like he's a child. And there is um there's one line that I really liked um Bart's asking his dad like for examples of sexual harassment. He's like, "And the dog from Coppertone?" And Homer's like, "Oh, that's a gray area." Cuz there's like on a Coppertone bottle. Yeah. The dog yeah. Biting the underwear, the swim trunks, yep. whatever they are. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> hmm. Yeah. It, it is an interesting conversation, but the thing that it's trying to say, or one of the messages, and I listened to the audio commentary, which is problematic in its own way, um, <laughs> the audio commentary of all these male creators discussing this. Um and the fact that at this time it was, you know, written and all directed by men still, you know, and going at it from Homer being a man who is um, wrongfully accused. So he is a man, he's wrongfully accused, and he's just being taken to task. And in 2017, isn't that the great fear of the yellow man is that all these accusers are going are gonna to lie and I'm going to get in trouble for something I didn't do and they're going to mistake this totally innocent thing of me grabbing at her butt to get my gummy Venus de Milo and it's going to be blown so far out of proportion and no one's going to believe me. 
and I'm going to be taken to task. And the media is going to deconstruct my actions and turn me into an evil person. And it's going to be trial by media. And I'm not even going to get a chance to say anything. And, you know, whatever happened to innocent until proven guilty. I agree that's what this episode says. But here's my problem I've had with this episode since I was a kid. Bottom line, he still grabbed her butt without thinking. Yes. He's saying it wasn't sexual harassment because he didn't intend it to be. That doesn't mean it's not sexual harassment. Right. And what's also interesting is that Homer kind of accepts his public flogging. Like, he is kind of, like, shameful about it. And towards the end of the episode, he opens the door and he gets, like, kicked in the face or something. And he's, like, he closes the door, dejected, and it's like, oh, well, that's... He seems very accepting, like, that's how it is now. I was perceived to have done a bad thing, so this is what I deserve. Hmm. And he's he's ostracized, and um, it's interesting, like, the, the media's play in this, and it's, you know, we're living in this every, every day, because this story is about, from the guy's point of view, like, what if he's innocent? And, um, I mean, that's what people always say, like, oh, what if so-and-so's lying? And so you're really thinking about that, and you're really grappling with that, because... Um, I mean, that's a, it is trial by media. Um, but what's interesting is at the very end, he falls into that media trap as well. And he's just, he's just saying what the media is saying too about, um, what happens at, can you explain the end? The, the end where they reveal that about, um, Willie. Mm -hmm. So groundskeeper Willie has been recording everybody, um, which is. Not as bad now because we all have phones, right? So it's okay to do it. It's just CCTV, yeah. Yeah. It was really creepy back in the 90s. But now when you have your phone, you know, you see everybody's life on YouTube right now. So what? he was just ahead of his time, really. Groundskeeper Willie recording everybody and everything they were doing. I feel icky even making that joke. (laughs) Uh, um, So because he's out recording everybody, he's able to record the truth and give it to rock bottom, which is the tabloid series. But now groundskeeper Willie gets condemned as this creeper and, you know, and now Homer's against him, the person who saved him. Now he's like, Oh yeah, he's creepy. You know, he's, he's this gross guy. Can't trust those people. I like the quote where it was, um, the courts might not work, but it's okay if everybody is videotaping each other all the time. So, <laughs> and clearly the 2010s have proved that that philosophy doesn't work. Has it though? Yes, it has. It has. I'm not <laughs> even going to play devil's advocate. Yes, it totally has. <laughs> <laughs> There's no advocate to play here. <laughs> Devil packed up, left town. Like I'm done, guys. <laughs> what What other thoughts did did everyone have in terms of the the person who was sexually harassed? Because as you said, Mackenzie. He still reached and grabbed like it, it wasn't. Yes, he was not grabbing her as it was edited. Sweet can. He was going after the candy, but he never apologized to her. He never said, I'm sorry for like, maybe this could have been avoided if he had gone to her and say, you know, it, I was going after the candy. Um, there was a gummy bear stuck on your but, and I just really wanted to eat that candy. It had nothing to do with you and your butt. It was all, 
Okay, I'm seeing how this is problematic too. Yeah, but it sounds it sounds worse somehow. <laughs> I was just grabbing for the candy um, that was stuck on your butt, but like it, it was never about his rela- um, his re- relationship to her because she only got to be the person who started it, and then it became about the media, and she disappears about a quarter, you know, a third of the episode in. She's gone. Until Homer has the proof, and then she comes back and says, "Oh, I see. It was just the gummy bear, or the gummy Venus to Milo." Yeah, it's about his reputation, which is how a lot of these stories play out. If it's somebody that you care about and they're getting accused, it's that nice guy kind of um, uh, complex where it's like, "Oh, they're so nice. How could they ever do do anything wrong?" So it just the reputation in the media. Um, transcends the actual acts and the actual people who deal with the pain every day. But she's so savvy because you see how she deals with Bart with the video game to get him and manipulate him to do housework. You see that she's smart and savvy, but you don't get to see that anywhere else. You just see that one moment of her. Um, you get to. I do enjoy that she's like, okay, just let me out of the car. Let me out here. She's done with Homer. She's like, just let me out. I'm I'm done talking to you. Um, which was a really strong moment. Um, and originally the writers talked about how this was going to be an episode where it's Homer versus Lisa. And Lisa was going to be on the side of, you know, stuck in between of her love for her father and her respect for her babysitter and what happened between the two of them. And they were like, eh, it's more, let's make it about the media. I feel like it would have been a, a more interesting episode with Lisa being in the middle, but yeah, I mean, hypothetically, I agree that could be stronger, but I also feel like that's more of a predictable episode. And so I think with the media and the explanation to Bart, I think that that's a really interesting moment that, yeah, I don't know. <laughs> I like it. I like the episode as is. Okay. It's still problematic, but I feel like this with Lisa is less unique. Got it. She is proud of her dad for going on public access TV and getting, you know, two people who watch it um, (laughs) uh, (laughs) to try to say his own story and stand up for himself. Because like Laura said, he just kind of took his public shaming and didn't really do anything until she stepped in. Any other thoughts that anyone has about the problematic nature of it or, you know, the moral of the story, if, that it's all about the media? Does that excuse it? Yeah, what would you say are its biggest deficits if we're trying to compare this with um, maybe a BoJack Horseman, which is very overt about the issues and it's written by women? Um, what do you think it's the, the biggest deficit for the Simpson episode? Well, I guess that gets us, if we go one step further into BoJack Horseman, which is a little bit further, as you said, it's more overt about media and the, the role that media plays in these or chooses to play in these in terms of, I think it goes the opposite way in terms of now it's on the defensive against people with you know, making accusations of harassment. It's so it's kind of fighting for the opposite side. It's it's fighting yeah. against the victims and fighting towards the famous 
and maybe that's the difference is Bojack or not Bojack, but um, Hank Hippopopolis is Hippopopolis is is famous, and Homer is not famous. So they well, I think no matter what, I think that the media portrayal in Bojack Horseman is more realistic. Um, and so this this if we're jumping into it, season two, episode seven, Hank After Dark has always been one of my favorite episodes of Bojack Horseman. And rewatching it now, like I was ready to cry. Like it hurts so much with like how real it was. And like every time some big name has come out as being um a sexual harasser, um, uh, I've thought of this episode because Hank Hippopopolis is such like this amalgamation of Bill Cosby and Harvey Weinstein. He's just a little bit of everybody is in there. And you can see that. And the media portrayal, what was interesting to me about the media portrayal is whenever they're talking to Diane and they're talking about how wrong Diane is in the media stories that this one awful woman is accusing everybody's favorite Uncle Hanky of this awful thing. Bojack is trying to steal attention away. And he keeps saying more in more terrible things and nothing is as bad as one woman accusing a man of being a sexual harasser. Hmm. Even Todd's genocide in a foreign country B plot at the end, the joke is like that was not as interesting as a nobody woman accusing uncle Hanky of being sexual harasser. Had either of you seen Laura, Rebecca, seen anything with BoJack Horseman before or know about BoJack Horseman before we asked you to watch this episode? I think I maybe watched one episode of BoJack Horseman um, like a very long time ago, but it was like one episode and I was not paying attention and I turned it off. <laughs> I just knew he was a man with a horse head. That's all. <laughs> <laughs> or is he a horse with a man body? Mm. Yet to be determined. Mm. What a question. <laughs> <laughs> so what were your thoughts as you watched this in comparison to some of the other things that we asked you to watch? I think there are a, a lot of other male figures at play in this episode than there are in the other episodes. Um, like there's this woman's um, dog husband. <laughs> Um, so weird and um, Bojack himself kind of inserts himself into the situation and like during interviews on TV he's like oh hey here's this like marginally bad thing that I did attention's on me now but it's not so it was interesting like watching this play out in what feels like a very very real way Dude. What would you think, really Rebecca? Um, it, pretty much what um, what Laura said. Um, I just have a note that we're all animals because all of these cartoons, you know, we base a lot of our cartoon characters as animals. And I think that's just kind of ironic when we're talking about these instincts that are just very um, anti you and all about me and my feelings. So, um, but I think it was extra, especially with Matt Lauer and his um allegations and everything this one kind of hit home and i had never seen any of this um uh show before so it was just like it just seemed and th i i was surprised that this was from 2015 which seems like eons ago so um <laughs> <laughs> a simpler time it was the future we had a progressive government <laughs> really it's it's the future we can all aspire to 
Um, but it was, it just spoke, it just seems like clear as day to watch that now, um, of just like, this is exactly what's happening. And it's that, um, although I will give us a little credit in reality versus the show that we are, we aren't necessarily fighting against the victims. We have fired a lot of these men, you know, Diane lists all of these, these people who've had all of these, you know, allegations and stuff. And we, we have that list. We're talking about that list and we're, you know, kind of ostracizing these people, you know, house of cards is over, you know, all of these things are actually (laughs) happening. So that is good versus this um, cartoon world um, where the media is kind of, um, you know, they're trying to keep up Mr. Hippo (laughs) and uh, they're trying to, you know, because it's like the, yeah, the nice guy complex where he can't ever do anything wrong. But, you know, Matt Lauer was, you know, everybody's favorite. What would they call him? Like the first family of whatever it was, but he, he was just, you know, that kind of, nurturing good guy that you look forward to when you watch the news and you know he's struck down now so that is a positive thing that you know hasn't really played out in these shows soon the secret button that locks your office door is really trapping yourself you know you're like in your own prison no of your Mm. of your own actions no no Mm, no, cut. No. <laughs> <laughs> so, um, I think my my favorite part of this episode, which won't be my favorite thing because it's my favorite part of this episode, um, it's a lengthy clip that I want to play, and it's the Hank Hippopopoulos villain monologue. I didn't do any of those things that you're accusing me of. I want to be very clear. I'm not meeting you here because I'm scared of you. This is me doing you a favor. I think you are scared of me. I'm not a bad guy, Diane, and I truly do believe that. 24 hours from now, the news cycle will move on to something else. I'll go back to hosting my dance show, which employs hundreds of nice, good, hardworking people. You, on the other hand, are pretty much done. People love me, and they're not going to forgive you for this. This isn't about me. If you keep pushing this, you're going to drag down the people close to you. Look, you had your fun. So why don't you call it a day and go home to your husband? I know who you are. Sweetheart, everyone knows who I am. I'm Hank Hippopopoulos. Who the hell are you? I feel like the whole, the moral of this episode of BoJack is why women will stay silent. I feel like everything is feeding into trying to explain like why Diane feels this way and why she chooses to drop it. And it's Hank Hippopopoulos saying, everybody knows who I am. I'm Hank Hippopopoulos. Who the hell are you? And she's not even the victim. So it's pretty devastating to think that the one person who's trying to stand up for all of these other people is also being silenced. Right. And Mr. Peanut Butter, um, Diane's husband, saying, why does it have to be you? You know, Don't you understand that you are going to ruin my career, which is going to be our livelihood and lose our home if you even get involved in something that has nothing to do with you. That annoyed me so much. Mm -hmm. I was very over Mr. Peanut Butter. (laughs) (laughs) His little puppy dog eyes don't work anymore. (laughs) No, I was like, Mr. Peanut Butter, you need to sit down and stop talking. Yeah, and I think that that was the interesting dramaturgical choice to make with this episode because 
if Diane had been the one who was the victim, then there'd be n- no sliver of sympathy for Mr. Peanut Butter's position at all. But because she's not directly the victim, and he's just saying, like, you're not going to beat him. I care for you. I believe you. You're not going to beat him. There is kind of like this the sliver of, like, I see where you're coming from, but I don't agree with it. Well, there's that whole conversation um, where she's in the bookstore and the, you know, led by the bookworm, which I think is just a really funny sight gag. You have the, the worm at the bookstore. Book, yes. Bookworm. It's like bad joke. But when they're talking about it and she's saying, I'm not saying anything that's not public knowledge. Wait, wait, wait. wait. What, what about Hank Hippopolis? Well, all of his former assistants have made the same allegations. I feel like we're getting off track here. Do you really not know about that? Any other questions about me, the handsome famous horse with the book? What do you have against Uncle Hanky? I'm not saying anything that isn't already on the public record. You can just Google Hank Hippopolis allegations and I... Uh, well, oh, you don't have to Google it right now. I- <gasps> but it's just interesting that it's just like, oh, I'm sorry, I thought this was public knowledge. I thought that I'm not accusing him. I'm not saying anything that hasn't been said about him that's easily found on the internet. It's it's just the fact that somebody's bringing it up in conversations as if it were truth that that's the crime. The voice in this episode that I really found authentic and stuck with me was the um, the second bookstore that they go to with the sh- shrimp crawfish question mark. Um, <laughs> Who begins his monologue, you, you women, women are, are all, all the same. same. Like, oh, God. Excuse me? Yeah, you make these broad accusations to get attention for yourself, and when you don't have proof to back it up, you just slink away. I'm not slinking away. Isn't that what happened with all those assistants? They took his money, and they don't even care they could be ruining a man's life. What? They ruined his life? And they give him that awful whiny voice to, like, really caricature this person, rightfully, and they're, they're clearly portraying him as, like, this idiot antagonist in the story. They're not trying to, like, justify that viewpoint at all. Is our exhaustion with that trope a symbol of how far we've come in 2017 from 2015? <laughs> yeah, because it wasn't... I think in 2015, I think the first time I saw it, I was laughing hysterically through this whole episode. I think now I'm just like... This is depressing. Like, I I wasn't even laughing at the Todd subplot. Like, oh, look, I'm a kooky guy and I've gotten, I've traded places with this evil person. And isn't this funny? And I'm saying these silly things. And I'm just like, this is awful. This is so wrong. I know he wasn't even important because it's like, dude, no, we've got bigger fish to fry, like, or crawfish or whatever. Literally in Bojack Horseman, (laughs) there are bigger fish to fry. In Bojack if Horseman. they wrote this today, Todd, the Todd plot would not be in here. There'd be more to say about the main plot. Right. It'd be no B plot. It would all be just Diane. And the, the thing, I think it's the very last line of the episode that just like really kills me that didn't hit me at all the first time I watched it. It's after Diane is like, Rebecca smiling, yeah. <laughs> um, it's after, after Diane is like, acquiesced to her husband's wishes She's going to go off and feel like she's doing good. I'm using air quotes somewhere else. And she's dropping the issue and she's just sitting dejected at the airport. And this strange man looks across at her and goes, Hey, smile. 
And she just looks so angry. Because it's just, it's happening. It's happening to her right now. This whole episode, she was not the victim. And now here's this little, like, microaggression that she's the victim of. I laughed because it was cathartic because it, that's <laughs> happened to me. And uh, we joke, Chris and I joke about this, I'm obviously joking, but he, we always tell each other to smile more because it's just so absurd <laughs> of a comment to usually a stranger, um, you know, who says it. If your grandma's going to say it, maybe you can let it slide. <laughs> yeah, I turn it to the Hamilton quote. Like, that's how I do it. Like, talk less, smile more. Because then it just sounds even worse. Which makes it funny and ironic. But here's the other thing. The, the other interesting part about that ending is it's not said by an animal. It's said by mm-hmm. a human mm-hmm. to set something. It's like all the ridiculousness is out the window. The silliness is all gone. It's just a human man and a human woman in an airport, quiet, and here's the reality. And that's what drives it home. I think if it had been like a silly squirrel-headed person or, you know, an animal, it would have not landed so hard. I think the fact that it's a human man and, a, and you know, and Diane there, that it lands even stronger. Mm-hmm. Ugh. And Bojack, since I hadn't really watched this and this is about him and it really wasn't about him, um, <laughs> I thought it was interesting. He Once he made up with Diane about whatever their issue was, you know, he was like, okay, I will support you. Um, so it's like we need those male alliances. So he was going to be that male alliance, but her husband wasn't going to be because he's like, you know, you can't do this to me right now. This, you know, game show is really important. And it's like, dude, it's not about you. So that's that's the thing. It's like, can we get past our our egos to be al- each other's alliances yeah. or allies? And arguably, Bojack had more of his career at stake with Diane's actions than Mr. Peanut Butter did. Which is true. Yeah. So now that we've talked about that and we've talked about the adult, let's go back to the all audiences kind of viewpoint in the current life. And I say all audiences because I think things are more interesting when you consider all audiences and not just make it about adults versus kids. If you make it all audiences like Steven universe. So, and this particular episode, I think you and I Mackenzie have discussed when we talked in our episode entitled WTF, where we discussed the um, Steven universe at first but I don't think either of you, Rebecca or Laura, have seen Steven Universe at all. So would one of you like to describe what happens in this episode or what this episode <laughs> is about? Um, because I would love to hear about it. This, if you can. I will say this. This this is about aliens. So we're right there. <laughs> Perfect. Laura, would you, Perfect. Would, you, would you like to yeah. have a go? Um, okay. So I had never even heard of Steven Universe before. So... Steven Universe, in this episode, there are two children who are friends, and they fuse together to become one superhuman. There's a word for it. I can't remember the specific word. And they um, have like a little jewel for a belly button, kind of like the trolls. (laughs) That's cool. Um, And they become um, what I think is a woman. And this human 
alien woman who uses her sexual prowess to get donuts and gets invited to a rave and they go to the rave and then they're dancing and having a great time but then they realize that they're kind of uncomfortable um, and then this man tries to dance with them and they're really not liking it and this man comes on really strong and then um, they get so upset and enraged they're dancing furiously and they split apart it's pretty accurate yes yes um the one thing i'll add on for any listeners to this episode who don't know about steven universe it's wonderful and it's this it's this cartoon network show that's both queer and like trans positive uh and just very like taking all the sexual and gender identity politics and making every viewpoint valid and it spends the entire run of the show doing this and it's great and this episode is this weird instance i think it still fits into that but it's it's showing you the ickier side of that hmm. if that makes sense if icky is the right word this episode makes me feel icky and that's the point they succeed mm-hmm I, I think there is a lot of ickiness. Once you get to the rave, you're meant to be really uncomfortable. I mean, the the idea of Stephen being half human and half gem, and the gems are the alien race with jewels in different locations of their bodies. So it's not just all about troll bellies, but I'd never thought of him as a troll belly um, before. <laughs> that was the first thing I thought of. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm, I must have, like, put that in the back of my mind and stored it somewhere. But so you end up with the ability to be able to fuse. And they're not sure if Steven can do it because he's not a pure gem. He's half human. So can he fuse with somebody? And he ends up fusing with his human friend, Connie. And they become Stevani, as you were describing a woman. And it's really unclear. She feels very feminine, but she feels very masculine because she's very tall, very strong, very um, muscular and thick. And But it's definitely older. She's, mm-hmm. I think they say she at some points, but or they, because it's the two of them together. But they are very... Um, strong and excited to go out and explore. And I think Garnet has one of the best lines in it, which is you are not, you know, a man or a woman, you are an experience and go have fun. Like that's what this is. It's about being an experience. And in some ways they're experiencing what it's like to be together but they're also experiencing what it's like to be older because now they get invited to a very adult dance. So it's not the innocent dance of kids. It's not like a mid-school dance or anything like that. It's a rave. It's a very tame yeah. tame rave. I've, you know, I've never been to a rave, but I feel like it would be a little bit more um, intense than the rave we experienced in Steven Universe. It's the Cartoon Network idea of a rave. <laughs> Rebecca, you had a... Minus the ecstasy. Um. Yeah. Oh, I think it wasn't... I think it was there. <laughs> I th- 
It's implied. <laughs> With the uh, the word experience, I thought that was totally excellent to think of. Like your life is an experience, but um, it was a good experience to have a good experience. So I thought that when the man and the woman, or boy and girl in this situation, when they fuse together, they can have a good experience. And I kind of took that as well. When people work together, we can have a good experience. When we explore who each other are and we understand each other and where they're coming from, and we don't just like single each other as out as like you know you're a piece of candy gummy that I have to have, you know, and you know, you're just this person that d- doesn't talk like hello nurse. So like, I thought that was, that was kind of like a cool idea. And then, but then they were alone together, which is the name of the episode. And it was like, because this person, this fusion experience person is still um, seen as a woman. Um, you know, she does have that masculinity, but to me, and then, so this guy at the rave sees her. And so she still feels, or, um, or Connie perhaps still feels alone and there's not her friend. Steven isn't there to help They're, You know, they're just one person and she's being seen as this woman and this guy is coming up and going to do what he's going to do, which luckily he doesn't do anything. Um, but you know, but you know, he still berates her and calls her crazy because she happens to say no and all of this stuff. And she has no, her self-esteem is gone. And it's like, but you have your best friend right there in your body, but it's not really seen that way. Like you're still alone and you're still frightened because like this experience is still going to be possibly bad. Yeah. Um, I did want to talk about the gaslighting in Steven Universe. Oh, though, real quick. Go ahead. Yeah, go Please. for it. Um, when they're dancing at the rave and creepy guy says to Stevani, don't get crazy. And he calls her baby. And that instantly I was like, oh my God, gaslighting. He's gaslighting her. Mm-hmm. She's not being crazy. They're not being crazy. Um, and Stevani, Stevani's reaction of, I'm not your baby. I just, yes. I really liked both of those moments because they felt very accurate. And um, language that we are seeing and using more so now i think yeah there's a word for describing the technique they use in the writing now (laughs) sadly it was also interesting that they could talk to each other in the same body but when at the rave um one of them said to the other this dance isn't fun then they said why didn't you like this if if we were together it'd be okay so it is that really interesting idea of you are with your friend but you're not with your friend you can't dance with your friend you can't hold your friend's hand your friend isn't next to you helping you feel comfortable your friend is inside of you Hmm. (laughs) i I hadn't taken it that way no that's i mean in in a way we do carry our friends in that same way you know your friend's empathy and your friend's understanding of who you are and that's supposedly to give you confidence and you know what you're supposed to feel and you know what you're supposed to do. So you go to these things. And maybe even if you weren't fused together, if you go with your friend to a place where you are totally uncomfortable, even though you're there together, you still feel isolated, no matter if you were standing close to each other, because you're in that experience that doesn't feel right. You know, and I think it even starts off when she's like, people would be staring at me. They're on the beach talking together. People would be staring at me. And Steven says, nobody's staring at you as he's staring at her with like a very tame version of bazooka eyes. 
because his <laughs> eyes are pretty huge. Yeah. But it's like the tame version of that. You know, it's just like, look, uh, it's it's like a friendly version. But it's all about intimacy. And there's they're constantly asking about permission. From the very beginning, it's, are you okay with this? Is this okay? Are you all right? Are you fine with this? Do you want to keep going? Do you want to stop? After they get the donuts, and they're getting ready to eat the donuts, like, are you okay with this? And it's like, we can stop this if you want to stop. And so I found that to be interesting that between the two of them, there was just a constant understanding and dialogue back and forth about, is this okay? Are we okay with this? And I think that's some of the magic you get out of having the first female created and female led show on Cartoon Network. But even Bojack Horseman was directed. The episode was directed by a woman and co-written by a woman. So once you start getting those other perspectives, now, if we talked about from before, being characters being mirrors of the creators, now hopefully we're getting stronger characters, more interesting characters, because we're seeing it from all genders. Do you feel like culturally in animation, if you've seen other examples that this is something that's growing or do you feel positive about this direction animation or other thoughts? I think I feel positive about the Steven Universe direction of addressing sexual harassment because it feels like a conversation rather than Red Hot Riding Hood, which feels like um, a characterization of a really ugly reality. I was curious if there were, you know, I wrote kind of joking to myself, was there ever a time in history that was such a major shift as this has been? But it's really hard to say that there would be other than 2017. And it's like, is this ever evolving? So I'm just kind of throwing a question back at you. But um, <laughs> but I mean, I, I do feel positive, but it's, um, it's striking that like we are in the moment, I guess. Usually you don't, you read about the moments and you analyze the moments, but when you're in it um, and then you get to see the... Um, the uh, fruit of those efforts, like, and two, two years ago, Bojack Horseman seems like, oh, they're just, you know, ahead of their time, which, you know, it's since, you know, you know, beginning of time, but you know, the forties, just to think of like, and then just the Animaniacs are one year before that Simpsons episode. And it's just, it depends who's telling the story because that Simpson episode addresses a lot more. It brings in the media piece. It's at least playing like, oh, well, Homer didn't do it. Like, is he the bad guy? You know, it's it's kind of playing devil's advocate. And the Animaniacs is just very overt about just like, this is how we treat the nurse. So it's, it's you know, it depends who's going to say it. Like, you know, the Simpsons staff writers are obviously um, award-winning. So it's just... And then we'll see that now, especially when women are finally in their own conversation. I think that whole um, permission and checking in with each other was, I think, my favorite thing. Like, um, especially that donut scene when they get two donuts and have this moment of like, oh, I wanted to sit on this bench and eat a donut with you. And now... I have to eat both of the donuts in order for that to happen. And the like inward talk of, are you okay in there? Are you okay? Is this okay? Should we keep going? It was just so 
it felt like little kid heartbreak. Like, I want to sit next to my friend and eat a donut, but I can't. So I'm going to sit here and eat two donuts. <laughs> like, that's how I'm going to put salve on this. <laughs> that's how I feel every night. <laughs> <laughs> and it was also interesting, I mean, just, at, you know, when they got the donuts, that it was, they received the donuts because both the, the man and the woman found Stevani attractive. Which I was like, oh, that's cool. <laughs> I don't know why I thought that was cool, but it's just, it felt really right. It felt really pure. You know, it didn't feel creepy. It was just. Yeah. And it was a very like rose glowy color in the store. It felt very like soothing and soft and sweet, not predatory. <laughs> Rebecca did. Did you have a favorite thing or a favorite moment from any of the things that we watched? Well, some of them are just very hard to just like, oh, great. This has been out there for so long. And this is just part of our culture. Um, fun, like a fun moment. I just liked when Bojack Horseman thought um, Honeydew was the dumb friend of cantaloupe. Um, that was pretty funny. <laughs> um, and so I just like some of that like tiny humor that like made, made it feel okay. Like there's an outside world and we can all laugh about stuff and we aren't just all sexual predators. Um, I actually just like the smile um, line at the end of Bojack Horseman because um, it made me laugh because I'm I'm going to try to pull a Stefani and say, like, don't call me baby. So I'm like, I'm going to laugh at you if you're going to tell me to smile. Like, so it kind of like empowered me as like cathartic to just say, like, no, as if <laughs> like, no, don't don't do this. <laughs> How about for you, Mackenzie? Uh, mine is two lines that add up to one favorite thing, and it's in the Bojack episode, The because I'm a sucker for Bathos, all the false righteousness that they display, and I think that there were two great examples of that. There's one line they repeat a couple times of, that's called one of the amendments. <laughs> <laughs> of just people like, I have this right. I don't know which right it is, but I have it. <laughs> um, and then I forget the name of the editor, but the editor of Manatee Fair saying, we're women, we don't have to smile and look pretty all the time. She looks at photo proof, says, no, that smile isn't as pretty as the other one, kill it. Like, immediately she's judging a woman for how pretty she is after just saying that she women don't have to be pretty all the time. Chris, your favorite thing. For me, it's um, the beginning of the Steven Universe episode where they're dancing and there's this moment where there's the big finish and the three of them are jumping up and then Steven's like, oh yeah, it's this part. And he kind of jumps up and looks ridiculous. But it's like how in his own way, he doesn't quite fit anywhere right now. He doesn't fit with the aliens. He doesn't quite fit with the human. He's not sure he'll be ever able to fuse and be one with them or find intimacy in the same way that they do. I just thought that that was... Just a really silly manifestation of what the whole thing's about, which is being in sync with somebody and being intimate with somebody. But like, you have to be yourself. You have to be, he's goofy and he's going to be ridiculous. And that's, he's going to fuse with somebody who understands that. And it's not going to be pretty. And, you know. So that was my favorite thing. But <laughs> awesome. Well, thank you, Rebecca. Thank you, Laura, for joining us for this 
hard conversation, but important conversation. We, we do appreciate you. Thank you for having yes, thank me. Thank you both. For next time, we're going to continue our series examining the history of the Disney animated feature. This time we're looking at the period between, um, I almost said Walt Whitman for some reason, Walt Disney, between Walt Disney's death um, and the um, 1989 beginning of the Disney Renaissance, The Little Mermaid. So next time, please watch The Great Mouse Detective and The Fox and the Hound. As always, we want to say thank you to Nigel Coutinho, our sound engineer. Thank you to Jacob Reed for our theme music. And thank you to our guests, Rebecca Myers and Laura Masters. It was great to have them for the conversation. You can find us on the web on Twitter, at WG Animated, or on Facebook, facebook.com slash WG Animated. If you like this episode, please leave us a review on iTunes. It helps other people find our work because uh, we talk about a wide variety of topics. So maybe you won't listen to the next one. I don't know. Did you like this episode? Rate this episode. Thanks. Um, and you can find all of our show notes on Tumblr. WritersGetAnimated.tumblr.com Wait a minute. I... I cannot find my my gummy de Milo. Where where did No. Okay. I'm, I'm just going to say I'm saying no, Chris. I said no. Good night everybody. I liked writers get animated just now on Facebook. Woo!